All right, and welcome back to the third episode of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And thanks for being with us today, guys. So in today's episode, we're going to get to the third part of our season preview. If you don't remember, in our first episode, we talked about the AL West. In our second episode, we talked about the NL Central. And in this episode, we'll be talking about our thoughts about the AL East for you guys today. Um, But before we get into that... We just want to talk about – we just want to start our podcast by talking about a few things and current events that are going on. And one of those things is related to the fact that we are currently all sitting at home, not really doing things because of the coronavirus pandemic. And one really sad uh, effect of coronavirus besides all the, ter- all the lives it's taken is that it's really stopped some of the things we love from happening, including – Uh, Major League Baseballs. Uh, And because of that, one of the sites that we've been talking about a lot on our first two episodes of the podcast, Fangraphs, is suffering a bit as well. The reason being that because baseball is not going on, they're getting less traffic on their site. And because of that, they're having a hard time funding their operations. And Fangraphs is a really useful resource for all sorts of baseball fans. They provide you with so much amazing information and so many amazing stats for free. And they also have amazing content in their site. Uh, but uh, just a couple days ago, David Appleman, the, fou- the site's founder, let everyone know that they had to start laying off some part-time contributors and the full-time contributors have to take pay cuts because the site is less profitable when the traffic goes down. So what they're asking is that if you really love Fangraphs, if you want to support it and like the endeavor, please consider subscribing to a uh, year-long ad-free membership for $50. So you won't see any ads on your site, and you'll also be helping Fangraphs uh, continue to provide this amazing resource for us. And because we at the podcast are such big fans of Fangraphs, we are offering a free $50 uh, membership, ad-free membership for a year for anyone, sorry, not anyone, but for one person (laughs) who... Sam's trying to bankrupt us out here. But for one person who will randomly select one person who leaves a positive comment on this episode of the podcast for whatever podcast subscription service you're listening to us on. Leave a positive comment. We're going to randomly select one of those people and give away a free year ad-long membership to Fangraphs. And guys, this is kind of part of a bigger theme that I think Sam and I both believe in, which is that this coronavirus pandemic has necessarily caused us to change our daily habits. Uh, And it doesn't really dawn on us how interconnected people's lives and livelihoods are and a lot of small businesses a lot of mom and pop shops and people just struggling to make their way living the old proverbial american dream as we say are now struggling because of that so we really urge you guys where you can where it's appropriate you know choose to support someone right now who's struggling and who could really use your couple of dollars to help feed their family in tough times Fangraphs, of course, is a larger website, but it provides a wonderful service to baseball fans everywhere. It never hides behind a paywall. It's always been true to its fans, and they just love what they do. And those are the type of people we love to support. So as Sam said, leave a positive comment. We will randomly be selecting one winner. That'll probably happen uh, in the next couple of weeks here as we give you guys a chance to find our show, which we know we haven't really even released yet at this point. Uh, and then listen to it, make your own assessments, and if you like it, comment and try and win that membership. So something else that this kind of dovetails right into is, I don't know if you saw this, but Chris Sale actually got Tommy John two days ago now. Chris Sale, obviously the number one pitcher for the Red Sox, a previous AL Cy Young candidate and winner, and somebody who we were really excited to watch play baseball this year. Unfortunately, down with TJ, definitely won't see him till next season at this point. Um, but I saw something interesting happen after that. Did you see it as well, Sam? Yeah, and that's that. Uh, is is this about Dr. James Andrews? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. James Andrews is preeminent uh, doctor who performs uh, Tommy John's. I don't know what that would be, an orthopod or something. Uh, I guess it's not a bone, it's a ligament. Orthopedic surgeon? Maybe. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We're not that kind of doctor folks. So we will be a totally different kind of doctor soon. We're more useless. (laughs) Exactly right. Um, but anyway, so Dr. James Andrews came out very recently and just said that he was not going to be doing any more surgeries until it was safe 
uh, till social distancing and social guidelines uh, that encourage being safe about distance and being safe about the spread of germs and viral loads has decreased, and who knows when that'll be. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting issue because, you know, part, part of the early response to the coronavirus pandemic is that uh, hospitals started saying, we're not going to do elective procedures for people. We're only going to do necessary surgeries because we want to keep all of our resources available to direct towards fighting the coronavirus. But, you know, Chris Sale earlier this week, also Noah Syndergaard oh, yeah. uh, in the last week, have both gotten oh, yeah. uh, Tommy John surgeries, which you might classify probably as an elective procedure. Uh, someone who sort of is in the general uh, population would not need to get Tommy John if they no. tore their own ulnar collateral ligament. No, they could not. go about the rest of their life. So it's a really interesting issue. Some people were, were mad that these athletes were sort of given special mm -hmm. treatment and allowed to get elective surgery. But I also see the other side of it, which is that, you know, baseball as a industry is so large and it's necessary for them to get Tommy John surgery right. to continue to perform their craft. So I, I see both sides of the argument. I can see both sides of the argument. But at the end of the day, I think it's one of those things where if people's lives are at risk we should probably be doing, you know, the most we can to kind of help those people and fight this virus. It's going to cost the owners a bunch. I feel awful for the players who need it in the first place. It really is awful. Especially minor league players. Right. Yeah. Especially minor league players, right, who are really fighting for their lives. Um, but at the end of the day, this goes back to what we're saying. Everybody's hurting yeah. from this. And to ask a guy who's making millions and millions of dollars a year to hurt a little bit from this, I think that's a sacrifice we can make. So, um, these are all kind of not thrilling topics, and we hope that we'll have some super fun news coming for you next week. But I think it's important that we talk about what's going on in the sports world um, and in the baseball world. And another very cool thing I saw recently was an organization, and uh, full disclosure here, my friend is a uh, co-founder of this organization. It's called More Than Baseball. He's a former minor league baseball player for the Mets, played in Brooklyn. Let's um, go Mets! We played a little high school ball together, so he's a, definitely a friend of the show. And he started this organization called More Than Baseball to try and help minor league players because minor league players do not live a, gr a glamorous lifestyle, to say the least. Not at all. No. So this is an organization that uh, is not-for-profit, and they try and provide amenities, and they try to provide resources to minor league baseball players to help manage their money better, to help get equipment for cheaper, because minor league players typically buy their own equipment, which is crazy, and to help them basically get fed because they only eat through the organization. Um, and so it's a, it's a great organization. You can go check it out. But something that was super cool that recently happened is that Adam Wainwright, Cardinal great, and a guy that we actually touched on in our last episode, donated more than $250,000. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. This That's is specifically yeah. for Cardinal minor leaguers, and it is specifically to aid in the relief of minor leaguers affected by the coronavirus. So it is very kind of on topic here. But it's such a cool thing. Adam Wainwright, if you guys don't know, is always putting his money to good work. Like, Adam Wainwright gives his time. He gives his money. He's got to be one of the most generous, charitable guys in baseball. I think he also does a little singing, if I remember correctly, which is extremely random, but very fun. Um, and so it's cool to see him go out there and try and support these guys who may have been affected by coronavirus. I think this was a situation where some people knew it was bad. Um, a little earlier than the organization kind of uh, mandated was appropriate, but they have to play. This is their livelihood. This is their dream. So these guys have gone out, risked it all. He's out there to help them. Um, and that's what's going on in the sports world today. What do you want to get into next, Sam? So, you know, we've sort of been doing a series uh, as part of our season preview where before we start the season preview for that division each week we're, or each episode, we're we're giving you a little glimpse into uh, sort of an advanced baseball statistic and trying to explain it. And so a lot of these statistics that get thrown around today seem less scary and we have a better understanding of how, uh, you know, people who are using advanced analytics or are uh, evaluating players these days. And so if you want to go back and listen to our other primers, episode one, we talked about projection systems such as zips. Episode two, we talked about you know, the famous stat war wins above replacement. And this episode, we're going to give you a little primer on two offensive stats that are sort of one and the same, which are WOBA and WRC+. And these two stats are sort of what go into 
the offensive part of a player's war. And if you guys have noticed, what we've tried to do in these last couple episodes, at least, as we're introducing some um, kind of ubiquitous topics, is we've kind of narrowed down the scope. So we started with very broadly projections in general, and then we went down to uh, war, which is still a pretty broad encapsulation of a number of different things that a player does. And now we're going to kind of go with an even finer tooth comb and talk about individual things that players do. So I think this is the level where some of these stats get scary to people who don't really understand them, Sam. That's like right. WOBA, for example, stands for weighted on base average. That's right. Yeah. And that's a handful. Weighted means nothing to, to a lot yeah, of people exactly. who aren't familiar with statistics. So um, I, I want you guys to give Sam a chance here because he's got a great explanation for both of these. They are tr- actually the same stat, as you'll see in a moment. Um, and don't be caught up in the name. Just think about what does this stat mean? What does it tell me about a specific yeah, player? And, and it really gets at sort of the core idea of how you produce value as an offensive baseball player. So let me start with uh, WOBA, which, as Aaron said, start, stands for weighted on-base average. Now, what WOBA is a, is, is a statistic that tries to uh, boil everything about a player uh, an offensive player and all their skill sets, whether they get on base a lot, hit a lot of home runs into one number. And this is sort of something you probably see more in the general baseball vocabulary uh, as on, ba- uh, on base plus slugging. Mm-hmm. So OPS is often sort of given as this stat where you take your on base percentage plus your slugging percentage. Now, OPS is a pretty good estimate of this, but where it goes a little wrong is that uh, – it assumes like equal value between getting on base and having a high slugging mm-hmm. percentage when in fact those weights are not uh, empirically correct. And weighted on base average sort of tries to more give the correct weights between getting on base and slugging and thus gives a more accurate representation of your offensive product than OPS. Mm-hmm. And basically what it does is it looks at how valuable everything you can do in that in that is. So it says if you singled, it's worth half a run. And the way it figures that out is it averages over every time someone gets a single in a given year. So, you know, you can get a single with a runner on first and two outs, or you can get a single with the bases loaded and no outs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in those different scenarios, a single is worth vastly different amounts. Uh, but... What uh, WOBA does is it tries to take the context out of it because a hitter can't really control the context around him, only what he does when he gets to the plate. And then uh, by withdrawing the context, sort of averages over every possible scenario of hitting a single and assigns one value to a single. Mm -hmm. And it does this for everything, you know, doubles, triples, home runs, and then also uh, getting out. So then... Now that you know the run value of sort of every at-bat you have over the season, you just add all of these up and then divide by the number of plague appearances you had. And then what Fangraphs does is because they know people know about the stat on base percentage, they then provide an extra weight to this stat so that it's on the same scale of on base percentage. Because mm-hmm. they want to make it easy for you to understand because part of knowing a stat is not only knowing what it measures, but knowing what a good number in that stat is. Right. So, you know, you know that batting over 300 is a good average or having over 100 RBIs is a good season. Uh, you also know that, you know, what's a good on-base percentage, like something over 400. So what WOBA does is it puts this on the same scale of on-base percentage. So whatever would be a good on-base percentage is also a good WOBA. So that's WOBA. Now let's talk about WRC+. So what WRC Plus is, is it's basically another way of representing your WOBA. So what it does is it takes your WOBA, then it adds a correction based on the park you play in. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it's way easier to hit in Coors Field than it is if you play at AT&T Park. Right, exactly. Or is it still AT&T Park? It's Oracle, believe it uh, or not. Oracle, Everything's no. Oracle in oh the my Bay. God. Taking us over. Uh, so because of that, you'll get a little penalty if, if you're a Rocky, for example, and you'll get a little boost if you're a San Francisco Giant. Uh, or a San Diego Padre to pick out another team at that division. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then what it does is it puts... Uh, it instead of putting this stat on the scale of on base percentage, it puts it in another scale uh, where uh, so all of these stats you hear with plus or minus are all put on this scale. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a hundred is average. 
So if you have an 100 WRC+, plus, you were an average major league hitter that year. Now, every point above or below 100 represents performing a percent above average. So if I have an 125 WRC+, plus, I was a 25% better than average hitter last year. And if I have a 75, I was a 25% worse hitter than average last exactly. year. Exactly. So what you should think about these stats is they both tell you how good a player was at producing runs for their team. And that's obviously the most important thing. You've got to score to win. What WRC Plus does, again, this is just a recap here, is WRC Plus takes the same value of you scoring runs, but corrects a little bit for some of the things that were out of your control. Games played in Coors Field, games played in AT&T or Petco. Exactly. And so what you will see with some of these things is that the leaderboards are slightly different. Yelich was number one in WOBA last year, but number two in WRC+. And conversely, Mike Trout was one in WRC+, but two in WOBA. Both guys I'd like on my team. Yeah, they're both uh, very good hitters. Yeah. <laughs> and both guys we've already previewed for you. Absolutely, yeah. So just so you have a, a sense of sort of what the best hitters are doing in WRC+, for instance, last year Mike Trout had a 180 WRC+. Insane. And his career WRC plus is 172. And that's, so you're seeing that's like a really superstar level of WRC plus. If you really want to have some fun, go look at Barry Bonds Fangraphs page and look at his WRC pluses from 2001 to 2004. They're all over 200 folks. Yeah. I'm looking at them right now. It's an absolute thing of beauty. If, if you want to see something on the other end, for example, uh, Jeff Mathis's career WRC Plus, who <laughs> we, we mentioned, did mention this, yeah. uh, last week, is 46. A guy who kind of surprises me on both of these leaderboards. He's four on both WA and WRC Plus. And I made that mention of the difference at the top. But, folks, these boards are almost identical. I mean, they're very, very similar. Um, number four is Nelson Cruz. Yeah, that dude always a guy year. who I mean always has. He's just he's fun. Boomstick comes up to the plate, got that funny batting stance with his elbow out, but boy, can he crush the ball! So, Aaron, I thought one fun game to sort of introduce uh, our viewers to WRC Plus is I'm going to pick a year from the last twenty years. Let's, <laughs> okay, let's say this is something Sam and I do all the time. When yeah, we're this, talking this about is the not like a podcast bit. Like sometimes we'll just be watching a baseball game. I'll be like, Aaron. Name the top 10 hitters in WRC Plus <laughs> from 2008. So, but uh, we, won't, we won't make you suffer through 10. 10 let's, takes a while. We'll, let, we'll go for what? Let's do three, let's maybe? Do, let's try to get the first three okay. in the year 2010. In the year 2010. Great year. Um, was that a Josh Hamilton year? Yes. Okay. And he is number one. Okay. So just boom, baby, right off the bat. Yeah, he is so good, guys. <laughs> um, 2010... Uh, we could have a McCutcheon sighting up there. No. Okay. Okay. Um, 2010. Miguel Cabrera still? He's three. Love to see that. Love to see that. So we got, right, we're looking for one more. We got one and three. We're just looking for one. You want to give me a little bit of direction? We talked about him in our season preview last week. We did. Although, huh? I guess he was not a big topic of conversation, but he was in that division. Gotta be the Votto boy. That is and exactly I should have right. known that, too, because yeah. Votto, folks, was just the king. Because being on base is big for these stats. Exactly. And Joey Votto is always on base. That one should have been easier for yeah. me. I'm sorry to even ask for and, the clue. And one interesting thing, you know, Aaron said being on base is important for that stat. And that's really the main place where on base per slugging plus slugging is a little wrong. In the, that it weights these two things mm -hmm. equally. If you wanted to get the actual weight and get a stat that more closely approximated what WOBA said, you would weight on base percentage approximately twice as high as right. slugging. And the idea behind that, folks, is that half of the value of an extra base hit is that you didn't get out. That's exactly. where it really starts is you just can't make an out. So... Yes, it's great to have extra base hits. That's what everybody wants, but they're not exactly equivalent. Getting on base is truly the best thing you can do for your team because every time you do, it's not an out, exactly. which is crucial. Um, so that's great. We would love to hear your guys' feedback on these uh, on these in-depth 
analyses of different statistics that are out there. If there's a statistic you've always been curious about, make sure to comment it in one of our podcast sections or tweet at us at the Alonzo Bet, and uh, we'll maybe take a look at it at one of these shows. We're always up for new ideas, and we're always up to learn new statistics. Maybe there's one that you guys want to hear about that we don't know yet. We'll learn it, and we'll explain it to you guys a little bit. I, I think this is something we're both, you know, have a lot of fun with. So we, we'd love to make this a regular segment mm-hmm. or let us know if there's a different way we can present these statistics that would be more fun for you. Did you like us doing this little quiz at the end? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Let us, you know, let us hear your thoughts. All right. So with that, I think it's about time we move on to the AL East, an absolute bear cat of a division. Five teams basically with pretty... four teams with pretty respectable media markets and the Rays, um, who are maybe the most interesting team in the division still. And for that reason, it's just such a fun division. you got everything from maybe the best team in baseball to probably the worst team in baseball. Um, Young talent, old talent, experience, rings, rivalries, fun, fun stuff here. So let's get into it. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Sam, give me your five, one to five, run through them. Okay. Now, well... You know, I do think this is a fun division. I think this will be a bit more like our AL West preview than our NL Central preview. I think there are pretty clear tiers at each spot here. 100%. So let me go through this. I have the Yankees at one, which pains me to say, but I have to. Pains me too. I have the Rays at two. Okay. I have the Red Sox at three. Okay. I have the Blue Jays at four. And I have the Orioles at five. Yeah, just seal that up and send it home. You may find 15% of writers out there who want to put the Sox above the Rays because, oh, their lineup's so strong, and before a couple days ago, like maybe Sale's going to come back and shove. But I think Sam's got it on the head. And as he mentioned, very well-defined tiers. I think this, more than any division, I didn't struggle with. Even the AL West, I was like, I want to give those angels the bump. Or like, wow, the Rangers could push. Yeah. Here, I was just like, well, that's the way it is. I mean, I guess if we were to add some tiers, like I'd say it's the top three and then yeah. the bottom sure, two. Sure. Like, I think there are only three teams that I could envision, like even in some far out scenario, having right. a playoff spot this season. Like if two teams get super beat up, super injured, one stays fully healthy, always could happen. But even in that event, even with breakouts, the Blue Jays and the Orioles aren't challenging those three teams really, I don't think, this year. This year. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So let's get into these teams. This time it's really easy for us because we had the exact same uh, projections. Why don't we start off with the Yankees? What did you have as a strength and as a weakness? Sure. So my strength for the Yankees is just that they have... A very deep lineup. Mm-hmm. I think they don't have many holes. I think they have a lot of people they can plug and play if people get injured. Mm-hmm. And you saw this last year when everyone on their team got injured, and they still somehow managed to be, uh, you know, an incredible team. Uh, so, but sort of the other side of that, which I have as my weakness, is everyone got injured last year. Somehow everyone's already getting injured this right. year, and that's why I've health is their weakness. I feel like that's the only thing that can derail this team. Right, so for strength, I actually have organizational strength, um, which kind of goes to both your point and my weakness. I mean, that's just the most consistently run organization in baseball for the last 50 years. Literally all they do is win, 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 no matter what. Like, if you look... They're just always in the playoffs. Looking at their baseball reference page, besides for a drought between 94 and 82, like they're just always, always in the playoffs. It's an organization who knows how to win. And as you saw last year, even with a totally different cast of characters, with Booney there, who's, you know, pretty new to the scene, all these young guys you've never seen, Brian Cashman at the helm, they find a way to win when everything goes wrong. You can't replace that. Yeah, and and what I'll, what I'll highlight is that What's not something you hear often is someone on the Yankees being underrated. But I think Brian Cashman is the most underrated GM <laughs> in the major leagues yeah, because this dude's based – I think he is the longest tenured general manager in the major league. Which is crazy point. right yeah. now. Which is crazy. But that's just because there's been this whole wave of like, oh, Theo Epstein saved yeah. the Red Sox and the Cubs. So we have to hire the next Theo Epstein. And so all the general managers for the most part are young. I think there's a couple notable exceptions. I think Alavila is one of those. 
in Detroit. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a good point. But I, I guess what I'd say is, like, he's basically had this team good for 20 years. And they, they've they never had a season where they're just, like, totally out of contention. Yeah. And, sure, the Yankees have won 27 World Series and they've only won, you know, once since 2000. But but they've been in the playoffs. They, I mean, I every think they've they've been un, yeah they've been unlucky to only win once but in that five. time frame. Oh my god! And I mean, I think Brian Cashman sort of got a lot of credit taken away from him because he always had so much money to work with. Mm-hmm. But really, even in the in in the last five to ten years, the Yankees' payroll is not the same thing it used to be, and they continue to put together an incredible product every year. Right. They continue to find gems out of the rough, and like I, they just do an incredible job. Which again pains me to say because right. they're the Yankees. Well, here's what I'll say because I I and I'm a massive Yankee hater because I grew up hating them because I grew up during the evil empire where they did exactly what I'm about to say. What they do now, they have a high payroll for sure. One of the highest in baseball every year, no question. They're the biggest market team in baseball. But they don't just buy everybody's best players, which is what they used to do. And that's why I hated them. In those early 2000s years, they were just this evil empire. They would just take your best player and give him more money than anybody else could. And it was infuriating. Now, Brian Cashman is so smart. He doesn't need to do that because he's growing talent and he's putting his money wisely into areas where it's giving him strong paybacks. He's not buying Jason Giambi's and Nick Swisher's anymore. You know what I mean? And that is, that's the way the game's gone. And he's been more at the forefront of that. Nobody, I think, really gives him enough credit. And, for and that. a great example of, you know, the Yankees' ability to have homegrown talent is my player to watch who also relates to sort of this recent Yankees health scare, and that's Aaron Judge. So That's a good one. That's so a good one. Aaron Judge is a guy who, when he has been healthy, has been arguably one of the three to five best players mm-hmm. in baseball. Mm-hmm. But the last two seasons of his have been, you know, largely, you know, marred by injuries. And he's already started this season with an injury. Yeah. Which is, like, pretty weird considering the Yankees think this he's had this injury all offseason – but it's only being dealt with now. But either way, you know, perhaps the later start time will mean that he can he can get a full season. Right. But I think, you know, if Aaron Judge can just have a fully healthy season, he's gonna he's gonna remind people the type of player he is. And and that's not to say that people like think Aaron Judge isn't good anymore. He's obviously a star in this league, but I think sort of the shine on him is has worn off a little bit. And I think he's gonna remind people like I'm not just a star. I'm one of the three or five best players right. in the majors. Or at least three to five best hitters. Yeah. But he's fun to watch on the field, too, even if the numbers don't love him all the time. One thing I'll say here is... Well, first, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. So 102 games last season, 112 the year before. WRC Plus of 141 and 150 in 2019 and 2018. That's just amazing. When you're hurt, to be able to get... And most of those were like small, nagging injuries. So he was in a few, out a few. That's so, so hard to do as a player. And it shows you what a great hitter he is. But then you go back to 2017, and that's the year Sam's talking about. Sam's not talking about a 140, 150 WRC plus hitter. If he's going to be a top three hitter in baseball, he's got to do what he did in 2017, which is 174 WRC plus, 52 out of the ball yard, rounded the bags 128 times, drove in 114 stakes... And did it all with a walk rate approaching 19%. And only struck out over 30. Only one player has ever hit more home runs than that in their rookie season. Do you know who that is, sir? Yeah, I have a feeling it's some kind of Arctic bear from Queens, New York. It's Pete Alonso. It's Pete Alonso. You know, we felt it was going to happen. We talked about this story in the the first episode. In the first episode. So go back and listen. But... uh, And I promise we'll reprise that story in a future episode for all our future listeners, but... Boy, that hurts to think about. But yeah, Aaron Judge is so, so interesting. I actually, full disclosure, took him with my first slash second pick of the fantasy draft. He asked me for my advice and I was pushing. I said, you need to have Judge on your team. He pushed Judge. I was thinking about Albies because I let him swipes. But at the end of the day, I got to get the best hitter on the board in the one and two spot. So um, I did take Judge and I'm looking for a breakout year. But a guy I'm very curious about is Gary Sanchez. 
a catcher who came up, everyone said, this guy's an amazing, amazing hitter. He posted a 170 WRC+, albeit only over 53 games in 2016. But then he jumped down a little bit, but in a full season, still 131 WRC+, in 2017, which for a catcher is just amazing. Uh, sign me up. Yeah. But then things started to go south. Only 89 games in 2018. He had a 91. In 2019, 106 games, which is fine for a catcher. Only a 116 WRC+. plus. Here's the thing is that that's pretty good for a catcher still. I love that. Yeah. If, if your catcher has a 116 WRC+, plus, you're, you're really happy about Exactly. It. But this is not the Gary Sanchez that was promised. This is not the transcendent offensive talent behind the dish. And the other thing it's not is a catcher. Because Gary Sanchez is not a catcher. He cannot catch baseballs behind the plate. He stabs at him. He never gets set up. He's absolute trash. So with a 116 WRC plus and the positional adjustments he gets at catcher, he only amassed 2.3 war last year, which is just embarrassing. If you were a halfway decent catcher, you'd expect at least four war with that WRC plus, I would think. That is right. Um, but... You know, I will say there's some talk in Yankees camp about how he's changed the way he's receiving pitches and this might improve his defense as a catcher. You know, you always hear talk like this. We'll see how it turns out. Another thing I will say briefly is that I'm very catcher stingy. I caught in high school and my catcher coach was a jerk. And so I'm always hypercritical of catchers. But Gary Sanchez has a hose. Gary Sanchez will throw you out from his knees with 95. Like, this guy absolutely whips it. So even when he's not fielding the ball well, you may be shocked to see he provides defensive value because it's hard to run on him if the pitch is anywhere near his glove. That's right. And, you know, I think we both like Gary Sanchez a lot. Yeah. And that's why we both put a little money on mm -hmm. him to win the AL MVP this year, 100 to 1. And I'm liking that bet the longer this delay happens. Because he this can is, get hot. He could just come oh, out he hot. Get so he could hit like 25 home runs over half a season and be the best hitter in baseball, basically, because they may not play more than 88 games. All right, so that does it for the Yankees. Really fun team to watch. Let's move on to our number two here. That's the Rays. Sam, give me your strength. Give me your weakness. Let's hear it. So my strength for the Rays is their pitching, mm -hmm. and, and that's both their starters and their relievers. I think they're one of the best, like, full pitching staffs in the majors. And then my weakness for them is a lack of star power. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I have, Sam. So I have star power for the weakness. I do have a slightly different strength. And my slightly different strength is simply that the Rays have so much young minor league and major league talent. Everything on the edge. You know, if you just go through their depth chart, basically... You've got Brandon Lau at second, Willie Adamas at short, Yandy Diaz at third, Austin Meadows in left field, Manuel Margot with the platoon in center, Hunter Renfro in right, Jose Martinez and Yoshitomo Tsutsugo, who are both not uh, young, I, but... The Martinez trade is a really interesting one. He's the type of hitter that like is going to go for the Rays and just like be incredible. Keep your eye on Jose Martinez, <laughs> yeah. because if Jose Martinez gets every day at bats, he could hit like 340... With 25 homers and could score 75 times. Like, 34, he's a lot. But, like, yeah, he's that type of hitter. Jose Martinez, watch him hit. He's, like, uh, he's kind of like Vladdy Senior Light. Like, he just gets up there. He's moving so much. His bat's flying around. And then he just chucks the bat at the ball no matter where the ball is thrown. And it's always in play. Fun to watch, actually. And so that's not even tapping into their minor league system, which is super, super deep. There's so many guys here. That's just kind of the point. There's so many great guys. But the flip side of that is small market. They've had to be creative to win. And the way that they've been able to amass all those small guys is by getting rid of any big guys. And they really don't have stars right now. Yeah, but you could argue that, you know, there are some players on their team that are on the precipice of becoming stars. Absolutely. I, I imagine you're thinking Meadows, maybe Glass now? Yeah, so so Meadows is, is my player to watch, mm -hmm. and he's a guy, so, and, and this is sort of, you know, you talk about the Rays as a team that trades away stars, well, you know, sometimes that turns into trading away Chris Archer and getting back the Austin Meadows. The greatest heist since 2015. Yeah, Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now, yeah. so, you know, there's a reason to trade these stars and, and you could end up with these incredible returns. 
I think we'll, you know, with our next team, we might talk about a trade of a star that we like a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, you know, if you trade stars in the right way, you can really constantly be recycling young talent into your organization. And that's something the Rays have perfected. But, you know, let's talk about Austin Meadows. He's a guy who last year, like, was a really good hitter. Right. So, you know, I don't know what to expect of him in the future. I think he's probably not as good as he showed last year. But if he's a guy that continues to hit like he did last year, and again, you know, we've talked about, you know, WRC Plus this episode. Last year he had a 142 WRC Plus. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. It's the same thing, you know, Judge had last year. That's an incredible hitter. Uh, He's not projected for quite the same, but he's still projected for 120 WRC Plus. Which is which is again a nice season. That's someone who, if they you know give some defensive value as well, can yeah. be a borderline all star. And honestly, I believe that this is actually. I don't think this does him justice. Austin Meadows is an is a very very good hitter. Wait, did you end up drafting him? I didn't end up drafting him. I wish I could have, but I would have had to take him over Judge. And at the end of the day, Judge is outside of his yeah. higher than Meadows. But Meadows is a great, great hitter. Um, he came on the scene last year, and he came out the gates hot. He was hitting. He had one month uh, where he was just en fuego. And then I felt like he kind of went down. So when I was doing research for this show, I thought I was going to talk about his first and second half splits and kind of bite into those a little bit. But it turns out that he was almost identical. You know, in the first half, a little lower. He was about 100 points lower in slugging, but he kept his OBP identical between the two uh, the two halves, and he hit 12 bombs in the first 21 and a half, so he caught fire a little bit in the second half. But at, So I actually had those months reversed, but at the end of the day, he stayed relatively consistent in what's important, which is OBP and uh, OPS+. Plus. And so I'm excited to see what he does. Don't forget that in 20, you know, these are small sample sizes, but you just look at his Fangraphs page, he's got a WRC plus of 223, 347, 613, it's only over two games, but you love to see it. That's <laughs> yeah, well, basically like you hit two bombs in yeah, two games. Yeah. 613 is an unsustainable number, <laughs> yeah. I'd say. Um, um, but yes, I'm excited to see him too. Uh, a guy that I had is uh, Yoshi Tsutsugo. So this is the guy they brought over from Japan. Um, in Japan, he's kind of just raked the ball for the last couple of years. High batting averages. You high always o- love a Japanese player coming over. Guys, I love a Japanese player coming over. Like, we had Yoshi Hirano in Arizona last year. Obviously, Ichiro's a legend. Um, but I love guys like Kazmat Sui. You know, uh, I, I, Kazmat Sui broke my heart because I was promised the next Ichiro and he was true. not that. I even love guys like Sotoguchi, who I actually believe is Korean, but still like... I, these guys come over, they play their butts off, and somehow their numbers don't always look good, but they always contribute, and it's fun to watch. So we'll see what we get out of Yoshi. Profile's like a guy who, he's definitely going to get his fair share of Tates. He had 44 in 2016, even though playing in the JPCL is kind of like playing in a binky box. He's hit the ball out of the yard, he scores a bunch, he's not going to steal bases, but he's a fun guy to watch. He could be platooning in the outfield a little bit, although he's by all accounts, not a great defender now, and sharing DH opportunities with Jose Martinez. So we'll see what comes out of Tampa Bay this year. Yep. So let's go to number three now, and that is the Red Sox. So what do you have as their uh, strength and weakness? All right, so for the Sox, their strength is their lineup. You know, we lose Mookie Betts, which we'll talk about in a moment here, I'm sure, but you start to think maybe that lineup's thin, or at least I did. And then you go to their page and you're like, all right, well, I think Christian Vasquez is one of the better hitting catchers in baseball. Yeah. Mitch Moreland always gets it done, and he's going to platoon with Michael Chavis, who can do it. Michael Chavis at second base with Jose Peraza, who's going to, at the very least, be a neutral player because he's such a good defender no matter where you play him. Shortstop Xander Bogarts, who's and still one of the best to a, do it. Who's a star. Right. Like, let's, let's not trick Let's just face Bogarts it. He, star, he's an yeah. absolute star. Third base is Rafi Devers. Who I think is also a star. Oh, at this, th- point. this kid. People yeah. forget how young this kid is. He's about to come out this year, and he's just going to rake. Right now, he's only 23 and a half years old. He's going to come out as a 23 and a half year old and rake. And they still got Benintendi, Verdugo, who's the central piece of the boot of the Betts trade. Verdugo is actually my player to watch. I want to get to Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. 
And uh, Jackie Bradley, who knows how to get it in center field again, guy like Peraza. And then DH is J.D. Martinez, who's one of the top yeah, 15 just, hitters in baseball. He's solid. He's just very, very solid. Uh, I'm going to say a quick story here. When I, I also played high school baseball with Chance Adams, current minor league pitcher for the Royals, used to be with the uh, Yankees, and I went up to see his debut against the Red Sox. He faces the top of the order to start his debut because he's starting for the team. He K's bets. He gets a pop-up from whoever's hitting two-hole, I forget. And then J.D. Martinez just goes, yeah, yeah, on him. Takes a cutter high and in over the fence. It was a good pitch. J.D. Martinez got fast hands, and he's a strong man. Watches a lot of tape, they say. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. Um, so what do you have over there? I have the strength is the lineup, and then I'm sorry I didn't say this. The weakness is the bullpen. I have a feeling you're going to have something similar. Yeah, I have the strength is the lineup, and the weakness is the starting pitching. So, I mean, I guess we just don't like their pitchers, and there's really not much there. There, But you have to say, okay, the starters, you did write this after the sale injury, so you have the benefit of that. Yeah. But their starters, I mean... Right now, Ryan Weber is projected for more innings than Colin McHugh. But if you flip that, and I kind of like Colin McHugh, yes, they don't have any great starters. Eduardo Rodriguez, Martin Perez, Nathan Eovaldi, and Colin McHugh as the top four. And then you mix and match five. I don't really care about that. But those four guys, yes, none of them are great. But they're all threes. You know, they, they all like, they can get the job done with a strong lineup in today's era where starters are asked less yeah. and less every they're- year. Yeah, I mean, I think if they have a really strong bullpen, I'd feel a bit more comfortable Thank about you. their starters. But that's where it goes into what I'm saying is the yeah. real weakness is their bullpen. What the heck is this? You have, and by the way, this is the team that, as we'll talk about in a second, didn't want a great bullpen prospect in Gratterall from the Twins. They were like, yeah. no, we're solid with Brandon Workman at the back end, Matt Barnes setting him up, both of whom were... I won't go as far as to say they were disasters last year, but boy, I was not feeling good about the Red Sox when they stepped on the hill. And then you have Josh Taylor, Keith Hembree still in baseball. Like, what's happening here? Ryan Brazier could maybe be good. Darwin's and Hernandez, I think I saw play in the Arizona Fall League. But this is this is just about as bad as it gets in baseball, I think. Yeah. I don't see one guy in here who is very, very reliable to get out. It's not great. And, you know... And by the way, I'm sorry, I'm going to say one more thing. Their lowest homer per nine is 0.9. That's abysmal. Even for a bullpen. That hurts me. Yeah, I mean, they're... The bullpen's not great. Now the question is... Was the rest of this team bad enough that they should have traded bets and gotten what they could before he had guaranteed he'd gone to free agency? Or was this... The rest of this team good enough that, like, with bets, you got to try to make the playoffs and win a championship. Well, so this conversation must exist outside of the current baseball situation. Because now that we know that there's only 88 games, or now that we know that there may be no baseball games this season, yeah, and Mookie Betts may just become a free agent next year anyway, we can't evaluate it that way because that's yeah, not how it was evaluated yeah, when it happened. Of course not. But in the context of when this trade occurred, I did not believe that they were bad enough to lose that last year on him. I mean, yeah, I think I think they just easily if with if some if the starting pitching played up mm-hmm. and they could just get by with that, they easily could have contended for the wild card. And you know, with all the injuries the Yankees are having, like. Even maybe make a run at the division. They could have made a push for the division. And we're talking about their bullpen. This is a team that can just spend money. You know, we're not. It's not like we're talking about the the Rays. You know, this team can just go spend money and get a player. But at the end of the day, let's be honest. The bets trade was because they did not want to spend money. That's true. That's true. And that's the way baseball is tending. It's becoming more and more value oriented. I think that's a natural progression of the marketplace, and I don't fault it for that necessarily. But I do think that we don't get to see maybe some of the amazing things we've seen in the past where a team like the Red Sox, who we st- if they kept bets, we would actually have the opposite conversation. We'd say, should they have sold bets? And I think our positions would remain the same, but we would still talk about it because it's so borderline, it's close. So we'd be looking at them still probably third place, and we'd be saying, you know, 
they would really need to run. And if they could do it, that's baseball magic. That's what we love to see. And we may not have as much yeah. of that now that teams are getting smarter and smarter. Yeah, but I think there's another perspective from which fans shouldn't just step back and be like, okay, well, I'm fine with my team not spending money because I don't want them to get a bad free agent contract. I mean, there should be a fan should be happy if a team is willing to overspend on a free agent yeah. because that means they're willing to invest in their team winning. You yeah, know? for sure. At a certain point, you know, the owner either has to care about money or winning, and we see that pretty much for every owner it's money – but the fans should care about winning, right. not their owner's money. So the fans should be saying, hey, I don't care if you overpay. Just go get that good player and put him on our team. Right. But actually, the fault is not as much in the owners, in my belief, as it is with the general managers who have provided a way for these owners to only care about money and still have a chance of winning. The general yeah. managers got better and better, and they learned what to do with money, and they found a way where managers could pinch every single penny and still contend. It's... It's impressive. It's and an again, interesting progression. You've got to yeah. tip your cap. No one's at fault here. Everyone's actually doing the best job they can, but it might hurt the consumer, which is us, the fan. And that's something we'll definitely continue to talk about. But So, like, we've, you know, given the Red Sox a lot of flack for trading bets. But, but who they actually get? Let, let's talk about who they got. And that's Alex Verdugo is the main yeah. piece, and that's my player to watch. So, you know, Red Sox fans who are there – and they're really upset that they traded bets. Let me try to talk you into Verdugo. So Verdugo was pretty good for the Dodgers last year, and he's been sort of a top 100 range prospect for like many years right. now. Uh, but last year he had a 114 WRC+, plus, which again is not like an all-star, but it's a solid, above-average major league hitter. Only 377 plate appearances, I want That's to right. But I think there are some things to like about his game. One is that he has good contact skills. He only struck out about 13% of the time last year, which is far below league average. And again, if you can get your bat on the ball and put the ball in play, that always gives you a better chance of getting on base. Um, but he's not a guy that's just a slap hitter. He can also hit the ball decently hard yeah. with this high-contact approach. And I think if you, if you look on Baseball Savant, his average exit velocity was slightly above average last year. So he both has above-average contact skills and above-average uh, ability to hit the ball hard. Now, you might ask, why wasn't his WRC Plus better then? I think one of the holes in his game right now is that he hits the ball on the ground a lot. Yeah, he hits and, the ball on the ground a lot, and he's not that fast. Yeah, So, but you know, we've seen a real revolution in baseball over the last sort of four or five years that there are these guys who have swings where they hit the ball hard, but they don't really get the ball in the air a lot where you can right. do more damage. And they've sort of been able to tweak the swings a bit where they keep the that same aspect of being able to get to the ball and hit it hard, but get that ball in the air and had big breakouts. Right. So I think Verdugo's profile is the type of guy that where he has all the pieces where if he could just get a little change in approach, he could really have a breakout offensive season. I do tend to agree with you, but my problem, Sam, is that even if we take Verdugo as a player who's going to reach his potential, which I think his potential is a kind of perennial all-star, a guy who kind of profiles maybe a little bit like a younger Andrew McCutcheon, like a pretty good on-base skill, like a lot of speed and a good bit of power. Yeah, I was just arguing for him, and I, I, that's high praise, but I, I mean, I think... Well, but that's yeah. kind of the skill set that he has. Yeah, he potentially I, could play center field, not at a, as well a clip as Andrew McCutcheon could, could play, but... Like, like Kutch, but like... I, yeah, like that is some like 90th percentile right. outcome. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying even if we accept that as a possibility, look at this trade. The Red Sox give away Mookie Betts and David Price, don't forget, and they gave cash, and they helped pay down some of these salaries to the Dodgers. That's a top – I mean – Price isn't a great pitcher anymore, but you'd love but their, to have him their as a staff, three. Their staff could, could certainly use Price. I mean, he's basically the one on their staff <laughs> with sale out. Like, yes, they need him right now. That's obviously we know what player he is. And for some reason, the Dodgers also get players from the Twins in this. Like, the Twins and Dodgers. Well, they, they gave up Maeda now in a separate trade. Cause, yeah, cause it's separate. It's not going to the Red Sox. But the Red Sox get Verdugo, and then the other big player here is Jeter Downs, who was a top prospect for the yeah, Dodgers, right. now becomes immediately, I believe, the Red Sox number one prospect. And he was named after Derek Jeter. And he's a shortstop. The guy's a stud. They also got the Connor Wong, who's a decent player, but... 
It's a lot to give up, especially for a team who I felt like had the opportunity to compete here if they had kept these two guys. And let's not sugarcoat it. Like, Mookie Betts is probably the second best player in baseball. Yeah, I think all around. You know, we talked about how great Yelich is, but I think at the end of the day, Mookie Betts is probably the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. And, I mean, even a year of him, I think, is worth more than these guys. I just felt like maybe the haul for Justin Verlander was more. The haul for, like, a lot of guys has been more. And this is Mookie Betts we're talking about. I really think their haul was sort of brought down by the fact that everyone knew that the Red Sox were trying to move him. They they just didn't really have much leverage. And and, And that's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault. And, you know, Mookie is a guy who is sort of committed from the start to go to free agency. He, He thinks that's an important thing to do for sort of player rights, and I, right. I applaud him for that. Yeah. but This is yeah. not a money grab thing for yeah. him, people. It's important to understand Mookie Betts believes strongly that the top free agent sets the market for all the free agent players, and it's his responsibility as a union member to go to free agency. That's a position that I think I respect, uh, especially more than someone just being like, oh, I want a gazillion dollars. Definitely, yeah. Um, so that's an interesting trade. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Certainly if the season doesn't go... The Red Sox win because they got long-term control for some asset that the Dodgers never got to use. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how baseball handles sort of a a labor dispute like that. Mm -hmm. Like, do players get service time for the season if if no games are played? Right. It's an interesting thing we'll have to see. But, you know, with that, let's move on to fourth in our preview, which is the Blue Jays. Um, so, So what do you sort of like and dislike about them? So I really actually like the Blue Jays. I think they're a super fun team this year. Um, I really think that they've got a lot to look forward to as an organization. And my strength for them is just young talent. You know, all through the lineup, they got guys that you're like, he could be so sick. He could be really sick. And unfortunately... And they're all the children of former Major League players. A lot of them are, yeah. You do have Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. highlighting that, as well as Lourdes Goriel Jr. Yeah. Um... And I think that's really fun. They also got a lot of young players down in the farm. Their weakness, unfortunately, is their pitching and their defense. So they do get a boost by having Hugin Ryu this year, which is really nice for them. But then what are they doing? Tanner Roark? Yeah, he's like the ideal five, right? He's your two. So that's a huge issue. You have Chase Anderson, who I think actually we could see decent stuff out of. He had a pretty good run with the Brewers for a little bit, has been injured, and the Brewers kind of couldn't afford to keep him around. Um, I actually like that as a value signing from the Blue Jays. Matt Shoemaker, who I've always been a huge fan of but cannot stay healthy, and I don't see it happening this year. Last year was actually absolutely devastating because he was on a run. His previous injuries had all been arm-related. He'd thrown his arm out more or less. This injury was I think he got slid into nasty at second base or something. It was a contact injury. And that just breaks your heart for a guy who's off to a really, really great start. But we could see we could see good stuff out of Matt Shoemaker. He could easily have a K per nine over ten. Um, but you know, I'm talking nice about these guys because I, I personally like them. But this is weak. I will highlight though that the Mets, uh, sorry, the Blue Jays have two pitching prospects that I uh, yeah, have near and yeah, dear to do. my heart uh, because they used to be Mets pitching prospects, and that's Anthony Kay and. Simeon Woods Richardson. Uh, and Anthony Kay is actually projected for 75 innings this year. Yeah, I, well, Anthony Kay, you know, came up and pitched a bit last year, and, you know, he was decent, and I think he can be maybe, you know, in innings either for them in, in the long run. Uh, and then Simeon Woods Richardson is, like, a projectable young arm. Who, I mean, he's their number two prospect right behind Nate Pearson, who's my player to yeah, watch. so, I mean, that was, you know, a decent return for Stroman, who, I mean, would definitely probably be there. He did yeah. this year. I mean, maybe. Well, no, weird. after huge, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's not a bad return for for Str- for a year and a half to Stroman. But I also think you know, if Stroman does what I think I expect him to this year, the Mets will be happy with with the trade as well. Well, see, that goes I, back to the bets thing, and like now we're kind of getting into something that we didn't plan on, but. That's a much better trade for the Blue Jays, even though the return I agree is like a little below commiserate for Strowman, I do think that it's a much better play for the Blue Jays because they have no chance of competing in the next, now it's a half year. When they traded him, it was a year and a half. There's no shot. So that made a lot, or sorry, it was a half year, now it's a year. That made a lot, a lot of sense for them. Um, But you're right, they're young talent, and that actually goes to what we were talking about earlier they do have these guys on the farm. One is Nate Pearson, who we'll talk about in a moment here, has an expected player value of 60, which is basically 
as high. I mean, I think you can go 65 is the perfect score. 80 is. 80 is a perfect score. Um, Simeon Woods Richardson at 50, Jordan Grishams. And then at number four, a guy that we know very well, Sam, Arelvis Martinez. Oh, baby. Arelvis Martinez. If if you guys are into baseball cards, check if his uh, Super Fractor first Bowman rookie auto is still on eBay. It was selling for $27,500 maybe a month ago, and that broke me and Aaron's brains. Yeah, Sam and I had never heard of this guy. We were collecting baseball cards maybe uh, 10 to 15 years ago, and, you know, maybe the... Didn't realize how much the price of some cards had gone up. Yeah, I mean, this just broke us because neither of us could explain how a guy who's number four on the Blue Jays' top prospects and has risen, but when we looked at him, I believe he was lower. And his card is just going for so, so much. Blue our absolute mind. If you are interested in baseball cards, I'm going to do a quick shout-out to... Phil Hughes, the ex-Yankees. This is your second. He's going to have to start paying you for these shout-outs. Ex-Yankees and Twins uh, pitcher. He now has a YouTube channel called called Phil's Pulls where he opens up baseball cards. He's really into the hobby. So if you're interested in baseball cards, check it out. A guy I do want to talk about real quick is Nate Pearson because this is a guy who's just shot up the minor league since 2017. Never pitched more than 62 innings in a level of the minor leagues because everywhere he's gone, he's just absolutely dominated. His case per nine went 18, 12, oh, a five for just one game, though. 15 over 21 innings and exactly 10 over 62 innings. This guy is an absolute stud and could come up and be a difference maker this year. This is someone I got my eyes on. So I assume Pearson then was your player to watch? He is. My player to watch is, you know, probably the most popular player on the Blue Jays right now. That's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., son of recent Hall of Famer Vladimir Guerrero Sr. My all-time favorite player, for those wondering. Really? Yes, Vladimir Guerrero, my all-time favorite player. So I sort of want to highlight him because, you know, there's a lot of hype over this guy. And my question for him this year is, is he going to break out? Because... I think people don't realize that he really was not anything to write home over last year. No. He only had a 105 WRC+, plus, and I think that was clouded a bit by the fact that he absolutely like put on a show in the Home Run Derby. So people sort of viewed his... The, the casual fan viewed his season as... From right, a bit. he was injured for a little, so yeah. people were more ready to kind of write it off. But yeah, he was only about a league average hitter last year. And even more worrisome for me is... You know, is his defense going to be passable? Because by pretty much every defensive metric you can find, he was the worst defensive third baseman in baseball last year. Just so you guys are aware, he was worth minus 10 defensive value on fan graphs. He was worth minus six and a half based on the bases for fan graphs. And his offense was also overall negative because of the base running. Yeah. So... This is a guy who needs to figure it out because he's going to be so fun. I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who's just like his daddy. He can swing the bat. He's going to make a lot of contact. He's going to hit for a lot of power. But can he get his head in the game? Can he play defense? Can he run the bases right? Can he put the effort in that's necessary? Even if they shove him at DH, I think he's got to grow a lot to be the star in this league that we thought he was yeah. going to be. So, so I mean, so he's still young. I, I, I don't think the hit tool's in question. I think he's going to hit. You know, I don't think he hit as well as people sort of viewed him as doing last year. But he's going to hit eventually. The questions for me are like, is the outcome going to be a, like a good major league hitter at DH? Or is it going to be a guy that learns to put a little more loft in a swing, become a top five hitter in baseball, and stick at third base? Right. Then we're talking about an MVP candidate. Right. So, you know... There are a lot of things to like about Vladdy's game, but I still see the range of outcomes is really high. Like he could turn into sort of a frit, like an average or slightly above average player if his right. back gets stuck at DH and he doesn't turn into like a superstar bat, or he can stick at third. You know, do what like reach his full potential with the bat and be an MVP. So right. you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, it is really interesting because he has the kind of the opportunity here to be one of the preeminent players in this league. But it's going to take a lot of work because right now he just simply cannot, cannot do it at third base. 
Let's round this out here, Sam. Let's bring it home. Uh, let's head up to Baltimore, Maryland, part of the DMV, one of my favorite parts of the country, with one of the worst teams in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles. And I would argue the very worst team in baseball. My strengths are nothing and my weaknesses are everything. Well, Sam, I didn't feel like that was fair. So for strengths, I had random taters. I don't want you to forget that for some reason, the Orioles had four players with 20 bombs last year. And Did, didn't like every team have four players with well, 20 bombs last well, year? Well, but these taters came out of nowhere. They also had six other players who had 10 or more homers last year, including random names such as Pedro Severino. And, uh, yes, maybe every team had 20 bombs last year. But for the Orioles to do that, they needed Anthony Santander and Renato (laughs) Nunez to come out the gate swinging billy clubs. Like, this came out of nowhere. So I had to give a tip of my cap to random fantasy weekly ads like Anthony Santander and Renato Nunez for hitting bombs. And then I had to kind of lay it out clearly with my weaknesses. It's only hitting, pitching, fielding, and to a much, much lesser extent, base running. Oh, you were uh, much actually meaner than me because you actually listed out what everything is. Well, I just want to go through this. So in terms of hitting, they had the worst ERA in baseball last year at 5.59 as a team. Pitching. In terms of pitching, I'm sorry. In terms of defense, they had the lowest defensive run saved in baseball last year at minus 95. So now that we've established they were the worst pitching and the worst defensive team in the league, let's look at some things they didn't do quite as bad. In terms of WRC+, they were only 22nd. So there were oh, eight teams in the league wow. who had a worse WRC+. Plus than Good them. job, Orioles. Thanks, thank you, random taters, is what I would say to that. And this is really where I want to tip my cap. The Orioles were actually a positive base running team last year. The Orioles were the 13th best base running team last year. They were better than league average. And so maybe that's a place they can really improve on this year. So Aaron, you know, loves all you Orioles fans out there. And he said, we couldn't leave the Orioles strength at nothing. I'm going to do a deep dive, and I'm going to find a strength for them. And he found you guys base running. I found you guys They are two spots above an average base running team. You're welcome, Orioles fans. So, you know, player to watch, I have uh, Trey Mancini. Um, I think, you know, there's this a bit of a health scare with him right mm-hmm. now where uh, they found like a like a cancerous a tumor, yeah. Yeah, or a tumor in his in his abdomen. I think he's had a successful surgery to remove it. But I think it's a bit up in the air, you know, when he'll be able to play baseball again. It's very unclear. These things are always touch and goes. We saw with yeah. Carlos Carrasco last year. Yeah, but hopefully, you know, with the delay of the season and, you know, with a smooth recovery from his surgery, he'll be able to just start on opening day. Um, but Trey Mancini is someone who I think, you know, got a bit overshadowed by being on the Orioles last year where people couldn't imagine anything good happening. But Trey Mancini was quietly like a very good hitter last year. He had a 132 WRC+. plus. Right. Like, he really put together a nice season. And I think, you know, if he's healthy to start the season, fingers crossed he is, it'll be interesting to see if he could repeat that because he had never done anything like that right. before in his career. But I sort of think he's, you know, if I have to pick a player on the Orioles that I'm interested in as like a ma- as an interesting major league contributor, yeah, it would be Trey Mancini. And I think Trey Mancini is actually like a very solid player. I, I, If you asked me if I wanted Trey Mancini or Nicholas Castellanos next year, well, aside from the health concerns, I might take Trey Mancini because I actually think they have very, very similar bats. But I think Trey Mancini is maybe a little bit better in the field. Um, but I, so I do love Trey Mancini, but my player to watch here actually um, is Adley Rutschman. So I, again, this is for my O's fans out there because I know you're rocking the DMV down for me. Um, same with same with Nats fans, no disrespect, but. For my O's fans out there, Adley Rutschman was the number one overall pick. I just want to give you a taste of what he did in college baseball last year. He was the number one batting average, the number one on-base percentage, and the number one slugging percentage in all of college baseball last year. He had the fourth most bombs. He did this all while playing a very solid defensive catcher. And we're really excited to see. You know, they threw him in the minors last year, like after the college season, which they normally don't do. They give you some time off. But they're like, you're just ready to go. He came in, and in 20 games in low A, he just put up a cool 166 WRC+. Nothing too great, but it'll definitely get the job done up there. They pump him up to A. He only gets 12 games. It's not even worth talking about. But this is a guy who could be a major league contributor, and probably not this year now based on how everything's happening, but I would almost guarantee 
that the O's get him some major league at bats next year because there's no downside. Yeah, I mean, except you know, sort of having his service time start. But if you bring him up after September, no service time start. Yeah, okay. Fair. So you bring him up when the forty man expands, but you play him every day during that time. That's more valuable than bringing him up earlier in the season and well, giving him no forty man roster anymore. Oh, true. That'll be interesting. We'll have to yeah. see how that goes. Yeah, I forgot we'll about that. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. But that's the Orioles. I mean, there's definitely ad league to look forward to. I mean, that guy could, could definitely be a star. He can definitely play. Uh, I also think maybe Chris Davis is primed for a comeback with a C this year, just a little bit. Maybe, maybe. Just we'll see if bit. he can if he can crack a positive WAR this year. Um, we take that. We would take positive WAR. So before we uh, end our AL East preview, let's do the the quick over under segment. Yes, so give it to me. let me start with the Yankees. They're over, and I think actually this number maybe is a bit outdated now since the Severino injury. Right, but it's one hundred one. I think I'll have to take under on that. I, I'm going under too. I I think it is very hard to to there. sign a team up to win hundred games. And again, remember, guys. We're doing these over-unders for an 162-game season because we just don't know how long this season's going to be. So the Rays are next at 90. Oh, i got to take over on I'm, that. I, I also agree yeah. over. I think the Rays are better than that. I think yeah. they can win like 95 games. Yeah. Um, okay, third, Red Sox at 89. I, I still kind of think over on that. I'm going to go under on that. I think, you know, with bets... I'm going over. But yeah, oh, I'm price. I'll take under. I'm sorry. I'll take under. Okay, Blue Jays 76. I'll take over. I'm going to go under on that. I still I'll think the Blue Jays are another year away at least. Uh, and yeah, I, but I'm looking forward to a rotation, I think, that, that does a little more than we expect this year. Okay, I could see it happening, but I'm going under. Yeah. And finally, the Orioles. This is a hard one. 55 and a half. Jesus. It's hard to lose... Uh, it's hard to win less than 55 and a half games, but I think the Orioles are going to find a way to get it done. I'm going under. Can I pick someone to lose, <laughs> to lose 110 games this season? Like, I gotta go under. <laughs> I agree. They're so bad. They're really bad. They're so and, it's a good, and it's a good division. Like, yeah, it's, they, a, it's they, a strong division. They're going to get beat up on a little bit. Um, I don't know who they play in interleague, but honestly, it doesn't matter. The only teams that they're consistently fighting with are maybe the Tigers, not even the Marlins this year after they improved in the offseason. Like, yeah, no, they're, I think they're undoubtedly the worst team in baseball. So with that, that is the end of our AL East preview. Thanks a lot for listening to episode three of the Alonzo Bet, and we'll be back in episode four with another division preview for you guys. Uh, Signing off, this is Sam. And I'm Aaron. Have a good night, folks.